Hello, friends. My name is Aliza Kelly. I'm a celebrity astrologer, three-time author, and host of this podcast, Stars Like Us. Think of Stars Like Us as your favorite nighttime talk show that just so happens to be released every Monday morning. Each week, we connect with another amazing expert guest, and together we talk about everything under the sun. But before we get into today's episode, take a moment to rate this podcast five stars. Why? Because you're the fucking best. All right, now let's do it. Sit back, relax, and get ready for another out-of-this-world conversation. This is Stars Like Us. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Elisa Kelly, and I am so excited to be joined by Nicole Sachs, a Taurus sun, Leo moon, Capricorn rising, the best rising sign, which I am not saying as an astrologer, I'm saying as a Capricorn rising. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nicole Sachs is an LCSW speaker. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually said LCSW before. I've only seen it and it's been imprinted in my head, but I've never actually said the acronym. Is there a cuter way of saying it? Do you say like- I just say LCSW. Okay. LCSW, speaker, writer, podcaster, psychotherapist who has dedicated her work and practice to the treatment of emotional and physical chronic pain, symptoms, syndromes, and conditions. She is the author of the book, The Meaning of Truth and the online courses, Freedom from Chronic Pain, and freedom from an anxious life. Her brand, The Cure for Chronic Pain, includes a website, podcast, and YouTube channel. She holds faculty positions at the Omega Institute for Holistic Studies, 1440 Multiversity, and the Center for the Living Retreat Center. (laughs) Tongue twisters. I am so excited to talk to you. You teach people how to heal themselves completely with no medication and no surgery. Um, and on the topic of pain, I would say that that's probably like the core mm-hmm. trauma in our society. Can I start right off by making like a massive statement like that? Yes. I'm so happy to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me. So tell us about yourself. Tell us about how you dedicated your life to this and how you discovered that there, well, I guess what pain means to you, mm-hmm. how you define it, and then how it could possibly be alleviated if that's even an option. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's a huge question. So I'm sorry. Gonna, <laughs> no, it's great. It's actually a fantastic question. I'm just going to see how I can be brief enough. So I, when, when you say, what does pain mean to me? So as a 49-year-old woman, it means a lot of different things than it would for a 19-year-old child. And when I was 19, I was a freshman in college and I had what I call now in my profession an acute pain incident, which means that my back went out. I was in so much pain that I couldn't properly care for myself or walk or move off the floor. And so my parents had to come to the university and bring me home. And I was subjected to the whole battery of regular Western medical tests, x-rays, MRIs, orthopedic surgery consults. And what they diagnosed me with, which indeed I have on paper, is a condition called degenerative spondylolisthesis. So if you think LCSW is hard, (laughs) I have a degenerative spondylolisthesis, which um, is another word for, I have a pretty severe abnormality of my lower spine, which means on MRI, I have an entire vertebrae that's shattered and replaced with scar tissue. And I have two stress fractures above and below it. And it just kind of, it kind of sits on top of each other and then kind of makes a left turn and goes down. It does look really gnarly on the film. And so it was very obvious to all the doctors involved that this was the reason for my pain. And I certainly couldn't blame them. So at the time I was told 
that I would be doing no more sports, no more travel. I could only sleep in certain positions with elevated legs. I couldn't ride in the car for more than an hour. And the likelihood that I would have biological children was slim to none. So that's a pretty heavy um, thing to be handed at 19. And at the time, I was so overwhelmed with the information. There was only so much I could take in. So basically, I just made my life really small. They gave me steroids and muscle relaxers and opioids. And somehow, and at the time, I did not get addicted, but it was definitely like not something that could have continued. And, and at the time, and you know, this is now, I don't know, a million and a half years ago, <laughs> 1990, um, it, we didn't have the opioid crisis we have now. They didn't give 150 pills to a 19-year-old. I probably got a few Tylenol with codeine. So it wasn't that the drugs were a big problem at the time. It was that I just decided my life was kind of over and it was a really terrible time. And so what pain meant to me back then, in addition to the sensation and the information that pain gives you, is it just meant a dark and small existence. And it was really depressing. And um, so, but I will say, and this kind of goes hand in hand with the spiritual aspect of my journey, there was something in me. I don't know what, and I cannot define it that knew it wasn't going to be my fate. So like the darkness only took me down so far because there was something in me that was like, mm, I don't know. And they told me that I would need spinal fusion surgery if I was to live with this for long-term. They said, you don't need to do it now because I was young and I wasn't planning and going into like manual labor, but they said, um, I wouldn't live to 40 without it. And it could be a very serious thing. So I, um, I went on with my life and I went back to college and I went from being an acute pain sufferer to a chronic pain sufferer. So like I was the girl with the bad back. Everyone had to lift everything for me. I had to live in fear when it was a road trip. Everybody was going to take, you know, for hours at a time, I would have to, you know, say, take a pass on that. And um, the kid thing. I really had to put on the side burner because it, it was a huge emotional trigger for me because I'm an incredibly maternal person. And I, since the age of 10, would like swaddle up my stuffed animals. Like I wanted to be a mom. And so it was just, it was a lot. And so as the years went on, um, and I'm not going to get, if we only have 45 minutes, I'm not going to get into the story because it'll take me 45 minutes. But just suffice to say, I discovered mind-body medicine through being exposed to Dr. John Sarno, who is the genius and the genesis of the work that I teach. He, um, at the time, was an attending physician for 50 years at the Rusk Center for Rehabilitation at NYU Medical Center in the city. And he, he saved my life because he has several best-selling books on the mind-body connection. And if anyone's new to this work, I even say before you read my book, before you do my work, the mind-body prescription by Dr. John Sarno is the, is the nugget, is the gold nugget, is the theory that saved my life, informed my practice when I used to have a private practice, and has created... My theories are evolution of his theories. So because I'm not a medical doctor. I am a psychotherapist and I worked for years in private practice. But when people need to understand the brain science and what happens when the nervous system is in a sustained state of fight or flight, and when we are being informed by our senses that we're not safe, oftentimes what the nervous system does is channel pain signals. So it doesn't mean that the pain is fake. It doesn't mean you're making it up. It's not in your head. It's a very big misconception. It's just that the genesis of the pain is in a confused nervous system that thinks you need protection. So if you think about it, if you're running in a field and you step in a hole and you break your ankle, the reason that you get horrible pain shooting up your leg from that broken bone is because it's a protective mechanism. If you keep running, you might disable yourself to the point where you can't be healed. And so it's the same thing that's happening with migraines and fibromyalgia and back, neck, shoulder pain and hip pain and irritable bowel disease and skin disorders and so many of the things I've treated to complete and utter cessation throughout my 20-year career is that when your nervous system thinks you need protection, when your brain and your nervous system think that you're in a space where you need to fight, flight, or freeze, it gives you something to help you stay small. And, it, and, and you know, people, sometimes it's a leap of faith for people to understand this. So what I say is two things. One, listen and read all my stuff because your mind will be fucking blown at the severity of the cases that have gotten to complete cessation of pain through this mind-body work. But also use your body as your proof because when you start doing the work, it's like why anyone becomes a believer in anything, right? You see a spark of truth in something that happened to you that you have a visceral experience of and you're like, 
amen, hallelujah, now I believe, you know? And so um, so it brought me into this world of, of healing people. It started small. I was just in practice for years. And then my clients were the people who said, this is crazy. You cannot just be doing this one hour at a time. Like it's too valuable. So they convinced me to write the book and then the podcast and then the teaching and the speaking and it all kind of came from there. Wow. That is really extraordinary. And I, I'm I'm so intrigued and I'm so inspired because I think about pain a lot. I have a, you know, pain in my family has a is very intergenerational. It's the reason that I do the work that I do. The reason I had to become an astrologer is because I needed to a set a language set to really unpack pain. Mm-hmm. And I experience pain very emotionally. I have a lot of emotional pain. And I'm grateful that I certainly have physical manifestations of it. I have PCOS. I didn't know this at the time, of course, but now I understand that I have sort of metabolized a lot of pain through generations because of the responsibilities that I had to take on at such a young age. But I first knew pain emotionally. That was my, it wasn't physical. It was my parents fighting when I was a little kid. It was you know, the feelings of isolation. It was being very afraid when my mom was first diagnosed with cancer when I was 10. It was this mounting emotional pain that I first started trying to numb as quickly as I could. You know, I was, my first instinct was I have to rid myself of this pain, the emotional pain, because it's too much for me to bear. So, you know, my journey with uh, escapism started immediately, you know, like if I say that if I could have started doing drugs at eight, I would have, I was like ready to go because I just didn't want to have to feel the big feelings. And I also was like edgy and I wanted to like, I saw that like edgy kids and people did bad things. So it was like, okay, here's like an easy way of expressing the pain that I have. Yeah. And it was, it, this continued and continued. And it was only through beginning to practice astrology and understand this language and understand myself through this perspective that I was able to kind of start to pull things apart enough to be able to isolate experiences, to, to find the threads, to create, to, to weave a narrative that made sense as to like, what is the root of what I'm trying to do? And it's to, I'm ultimately trying to absolve myself, this emotional pain, but the physical pain, which is a lot of what I was metabolizing, which my mother has and her mother had, and her mother had, and all of these generations of women in pain. I'm very grateful to not have the physical manifestation of that. But I recognize that whether it's emotional or physical, we as people are trying to not have it. We don't want it, right? It's something that is horrible to have, but it's also something that is human to have, right? So where is that line? Like where is pain acceptable and where do we, where should we be treating it? And I guess also how do we then treat it if it's not through medicine or if it's not through surgery. So the first thing I want to say in response to what you said, because it was really, really insightful, is that one of the things I teach in my work is sometimes we feel things in our heart and sometimes we feel things in our body and they're literally interchangeable. So some people will experience heartbreak in their stomach. You know, my son is 16 years old and he was so in love, like that 16 year old love. And she broke his heart. Let's call her out right now. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Let's put that 16 year old on blast. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) But I mean, like watching him go through this and what has happened with him is that he gets, um, when he gets really big feelings, he'll, he'll throw up. Okay. And I am trying to tell him like, we really have to, and he, he's a student of my work for sure. And he's such a great, insightful kid. But what I'm saying is he's not throwing up because he's got, you know, whatever you might need to see it like a functional medical doctor. And they might say, oh, he's, you know, um, got a gut imbalance or he's got, and he might, I mean, because I think a lot of these tests that are revealed in some of these practices find things that are normal abnormalities, you know, my back, by the way, because I never really kind of finished my part of the story it's my fault because I didn't, is that my back looks exactly the same. And through doing the mind-body work that I teach and that Dr. Sarno taught, 
I have three children. I exercise till the day they were born. I have never had a surgery nor an injection. I never, you know, took drugs on any sort of a long-term basis. And I've had no back pain for 17 years. And it's because of the mind-body work and because my nervous system came into equilibrium and the pain signal stopped firing. It was never because of the abnormality in my spine, just like so many of these tests that come back with mold and with um, SIBO. Um, I think it's called SIBO. There's like uh, mm -hmm. with leaky gut. You know, there's so many things that come up. I'm thinking of stomach just because we're talking about my son. But anyway, there's there's a lot of misconceptions about why we're sick. And so that's the first thing I wanted to say that like, sometimes we feel things in our heart and sometimes we feel things in our body. And if we could just understand that pain is not bad, pain is information. Pain is information that, that brings us to the precipice of the truths that have been awaiting our acknowledgement. And that is what pain is. And when we deny our truth, when we forsake ourselves, when we shut our mouth, when we need to speak, when we lose ourselves and other people, codependency, when we're people pleasers, when we're perfectionists, I mean, all that self-loathing that comes with being imperfect when you can't possibly be perfect, all of those personality traits lead us to have to repress a lot of emotions. And then, of course, as you mentioned, we all have our messed up childhoods that have triggers. So I could go to the grocery store and someone could speak to me in a certain way. And it just totally reminds me, even subconsciously, of the way my dad used to shame me when I wasn't good enough for him. And so I could go into a state of having an emotional reaction that I don't even know what's going on. And the nervous system is so precise. And this is what people also need to understand. We only, even the top scientists in the world only understand a minute percentage of the human brain and its functioning, but the nervous system is so precise. Sometimes if you're triggered, you will repress the emotion before you feel it. It will go right down because it will be considered unacceptable. And so that's when it reaches maximum density. And what I call this little science speaker, this reservoir within us of rage and shame and sadness and fear and terror and trauma and all of that. It, it bubbles over, the nervous system goes into fight or flight because it perceives you as unsafe if you have to feel all these feelings. And then, oh, your back goes out. You reach mm. for a plate and your shoulder goes out. You know, you eat a food that you weren't sure if it was good for you and your stomach is sick for days. This is so human. It's so normal. It doesn't mean that the pain is in your head. It means there's a more complicated process that's going on behind the scenes that people don't realize. And without that proper education, and the knowledge of how to do the emotional excavation in a safe and methodical way in order to feel what you need to feel, we are a chronically ill society. And instead of looking in this direction, which I get it, by the way, because having your healing in your hands might sound good the first minute, but then you have to do the work and it's not fun. And so people would prefer a pill or a surgery or a doctor or somebody like, please, God, let me just give away my power because it's too upsetting and the pressure feels too great to have it on myself. And so most people who come to my work, maybe not now because it's I've been doing it for so long, but certainly in the first several years that I was really out there after I published the book, people would come to me after they tried everything everything. I mean, they had surgeries. They were already addicted to pills and gone into recovery. They had, you know, injections and they had traveled to a different country to do some special laser something or other that's only offered in that country. I mean, everything to give away their power until they finally said, I surrender. And they did the work and they were better. And, you know, I, I will tell you that on the regular, I get emails from people from all over the world. So I'm, I'm on the East Coast of the United States. I get emails from people in India and in Africa and Australia, New Zealand, South America. I mean, everywhere. And they say things like, I was planning my suicide. There was no way that I could continue with the, the agony that I was in. I decided by Christmas that I, if I wasn't better, you know, that would be the time. Or I had one woman who said she used to Google ways to kill herself on the other couch with her husband and her daughter when there were three of them were watching TV. Like such human, sort of beautiful stories of people suffering that they shared with me. And then they were like, but I did a deep dive on the internet at three in the morning, Googling chronic pain, found your work, have been doing your work, took your course, something. And now I'm calling, I always get body chills when I say this. Now I'm calling or writing you to say, I'm back to work full time. I'm pregnant with my second child. I, you know, I have a new boyfriend, new girlfriend, new life. And it's like, 
wow, man, you know, that's my impetus for getting this message out on every platform I can, because until people know that it's an option for them, they feel so lost. I'm, I, I'm so excited for this conversation. I'm so excited that you exist. I'm so excited that you're doing this work and your colleagues and your mentors are doing this work because it's such, I would say that it's the deepest, deepest work one can do. Maybe Capricorn rising to Capricorn rising. It's all about getting like my, <laughs> my book is still not out. So it's going to be interesting when it comes out and people realize that I wrote an astrology book that is an astrology book. And it's a book about telling the truth. Okay. It's a book about veracity nice. and it's a book about just being yourself and allowing yourself to be yourself yeah. and allowing yourself to have the deep, deep feelings, even the ones that are hard to swallow, like, and giving yourself permission and kindness and compassion and the things that you hate about yourself you know, the, the things that frustrate you, like recognizing that they even too have a function, you know, like you wouldn't be who you were without the things that drive you crazy about yourself. Absolutely. If whether those are physical or personality traits or whatever, like everything, this is my practice in astrology now, which I hopefully will be sort of clarified with my book, but it's not so much about the Zodiac signs as much as it is about having a language and a lens to be able to allow yourself to be yourself. You know, I couldn't agree more on both levels. Cause that's why I love astrology. Yes. And it's, to me, it's like, whether it's real or not real is irrelevant because it provides a complex language that allows us to recognize that we might be emoting really differently than we are communicating. And we might be communicating very differently than the way we walk into a room. And we might be walking into a room very differently than we want to take action on something, you know, like that all of these things are going to, sometimes they're harmonious and sometimes they're disharmonious, but whether they're harmonious or disharmonious, they're there, they're in your chart. That's what you're working with. So figure out how to work with them because that's your superpower, you know? And that to me is like, you can strip astrology down so much so that you're not even using Zodiac signs anymore. And that's, you know, what I kind of endeavor in this is like, let's go one step beyond it and really talk about yeah. what we need to talk about, which is finding the language to be yourself, you know, authentically without fear. Love because it. I do think that, I mean, we're, we live in such a deeply disassociated society. And why are we so disassociated? Because we're afraid of pain. And why are we afraid of pain? Because we're afraid of death. And why are we afraid of death? Because we don't fucking know. You know, so like either way, you have to <laughs> embed the spirituality back into the mix, because if you are just treating the pain and the trauma and all of this from a clinical, you know, only Western, so to speak, perspective, yeah. you're not going to you're going to or at least, you know, as I've played this out in my head so many numerous times, you end up sort of feeling disenchanted, right? There's no solution at the end of this because then you're just like, well, I'm just in this pain body and then that's that and that's life. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, but there's more, you know, but that's magic. And you need to have that spirituality and that sort of, you know, that hope of possibility for something else in order to make that make sense. I don't even know. I just made sense, but I think that you understand what I'm saying. I mean, you make sense to me. And if you don't make, if, if it's, if there's someone listening where it doesn't make sense to them, what I would invite them to do is just say, wouldn't that be interesting? You know, I, I think that, um, I was not always as spiritually open as I am now. My journey has been really interesting because I was raised by parents who I wouldn't say they were atheists in terms of that they, felt that it was something that we talked about. There was just no spirituality in my home at all. And I literally don't even say that as a criticism. It's just a fact. I'm Jewish and we have a lot of pride and culture and being Jewish culturally and talk about generational trauma. 88 members of my paternal family were killed at Auschwitz. Wow. So, so, I mean, I have tremendous, tremendous Holocaust handed over trauma, but for spirit, for the spiritual world, my parents just didn't believe in anything. And my mom is still alive and she doesn't, and I do, and we're good. I mean, we, we are so connected. And so it's fine to agree to disagree, but I, I have found so much comfort and more than comfort. My spirituality is so, is so um, concrete. It's so tangible to me, but 
not everyone can feel that way. And, and the way I've opened myself to every new thing that has brought me comfort and complexity in my ability to see life is by just saying, wouldn't that be interesting? Isn't that fascinating? Let's, I wonder, you know, you shut yourself off from opening to things when you have contempt prior to investigation. And so I really encourage people to just be open. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. The, the language that I have in my book around this is compassionate curiosity. Yes. I love you it. know, investigate, ask questions, explore. Yeah. There's literally no harm in it. You know, for a long time, even with a spiritual practice, being an astrologer, miracles felt so like the concept of miracles felt so like Christian book, yeah. you know, that I was like, that's not my aesthetic. Like that's not the look, but I was working with this hypnotist and I was talking to her about some of these things that are going on in my life and some of the things that I'm trying to heal and work on. And I was like, yeah, but this is this and this, and it's never going to change. And she was like, do you believe in miracles? And I was like, I, no, not really. And she was like, why not? And it was like, just such a damn, like, why don't, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? Because my life is a miracle. You know, like everything is a miracle. Every single thing is a miracle. The fact that we are having this conversation with what you have gone through, with what I have gone through, and these two Capricorn risings meeting on the topic of pain and chronic pain and spirituality and psychotherapy is a fucking miracle. You know, like that is an unbelievable feat. So if this is possible, a lot of other things are possible because there's no possibility that this could have ever happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess on that, how do you reconcile sort of like the more harder science, right? The hard truth, the, the psychotherapy, the clinical aspect, and then the spiritual aspect. And, and also how does spirituality inform your practice? Well, like I said, it's been a, it's been a journey. So when I first got my master's, I had, I went to a very clinical program and I went to a psychodynamic um, internship and fellowship, which means that like you're doing Freud, um, you know, maybe evolve, maybe young. Well, young is now we're back in astrology when we're with no, young. Yeah. <laughs> I write about young in my book. I, I love Carl Jung. Um, he apparently was a bit of a weirdo in his personal life, but in terms of like his theories, I'm, I'm, I'm all aboard, but, um, it, it, but it was, it was the Jungian stuff that was more clinical. It was just, it was very, very cut and dry, very boundaried. Um, oh, I have so many stories about the boundaries that I felt were incredibly hurtful to people. Like for the therapist, you could never say anything about yourself personally, nothing. You couldn't tell the person that you relate. You couldn't tell them you had children. You couldn't tell them, um, you couldn't give them a hug. And like, I just don't believe in that. And so I evolved myself with a lot of great mentors and guidance into a practice that I felt was very balanced, which is it was never about me, but I felt comfortable saying to them, I have suffered the way you're suffering. I see you and people need that so badly. Yes. And so that was the beginning. And then as I moved forward, you know, through the years, it became more, when you say miracle, my experience of healing through this is just extraordinary. I mean, I would call it nothing short of miraculous because when I started doing this work, I was doing it and, and, and I, and I don't know if you want me to talk in a more granular sense about my work and exactly what one does or, or we can just. Yeah, we would, I would love that. We would love that. So, <laughs> so essentially, um, journal speak is the vehicle that I teach. It's not just a journaling practice, but exactly what you said about your book. It's, um, a vehicle, um, that brings us to the shore of our own truth. And so. If you do this work, you will free yourself from chronic pain, certainly in time, if you continue to persist, but also it's just, that's the very tip of the iceberg. I always say that physical pain is the biggest, littlest part because your life is so much bigger than you realize, you know, and that's what this work does. So essentially it's about taking an inventory of your childhood, your daily life and your personality traits. I'll just go over it briefly because I have tons of online resources. Um, making sort of a bulleted list and then doing a very raw and ugly and unacceptable and impolite journal practice where you are saying it all. You are writing letters you'll never send. You're winning arguments that, you know, nobody else is on the other side. You're just saying it all. You're, you're letting the inner child wail and scream and give the finger and everything. And through this unabashed truth telling, there are physical changes that start happening to your body. Now, you might say, that sounds crazy. You might not say it, but a lot of people do. And I say, use your body as your proof. 
There are three facets of my work. Believe, do the work in patience and kindness for yourself. So you're not just going to get these kind of incredible, miraculous results from just doing the work. You must believe because the nervous system, your perception is your reality. You know, if you're walking down the street and you look around the corner and you're certain that someone has a gun and they're going to jump out, your heart's going to be beating and your mouth's going to go dry. Whether or not there could be nobody there, your perception is your reality. And so you must believe in something for it to start to chip away at you. It's just the bottom line. And and I think the word belief gets a, a, a woo-woo rap. Like it's like, oh my goodness, believe and you will be. Yeah, no. I mean, it's with the it's with the miracle books yes. and with the Christian aesthetic. It's the, same, yeah. <laughs> it's the same problem with that kind of semantics. But the truth is that's bullshit. The word believe is a scientific word. If you can't perceive yourself as being safe, you will never be safe. You could be in a bubble with bubble wrap wrapped around you. And if you think the bubble wrap is made of poison, you're not safe. Your whole body will be reacting as if it is. And so, you know, the the work is this excavation of inner truth. It is simple, but it is not easy. It's simple in that what I just explained is kind of what it is. I mean, obviously, I go into tremendous detail in my courses and in my book and and there's a lot of free ways to find out about it too, but it's 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 really just a persistent allowance of your truth to be reckoned so that this reservoir of rage and shame and trauma and guilt and regret and all the things that we live with within us starts. It's like putting a ladle in the reservoir and dumping it off and dumping it off. And the nervous system starts saying, wait a second, we're not in danger when somebody has an attitude with us at the grocery store because just because your dad made you feel unsafe every day in your home with that kind of behavior, but you're not unsafe anymore. Oh, so we don't need the migraines. Like literally, this is why I, I like you call using the word miracle. The pain signals stop firing. So it's not really like you're healed of anything because you were never sick in the first place. I use the word healing because it's just sometimes a convenient word, but it's it's that the pain is a result of a confused nervous system. And when you are deemed as safe through the excavation of these emotions and the belief and the patience and kindness for yourself, because we all love to self-loathe and have an inner critic and say, you're a piece of shit. You can't do that because then it just adds more fear, which adds more problems. And so I have had incredibly miraculous transformations by doing this work but um, I'm also a really dedicated student of Eastern mysticism and of Hinduism and of Ram Das. And one thing that he says of the mystic literature is these saints, these Indian saints used to say in terms of miracles, I give them what they want. So they'll want what I give. So when I tell my miracle stories, like I have one podcast that's just called Miracle Stories, and it's about these incredible transformations in my own body and in others. Your podcast is called Miracle Stories? No, 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 no. Just there's an, my podcast is called The Cure for Chronic Pain. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's an episode called Miracle Stories. We have to call out a tank when it happens. It's there are no coincidences. So we say tank. Okay. So that was a very tank because here I am talking about miracles, unaware of the fact that that's even a piece of language that you work with. Oh, totally. I just, I just produced it like maybe about a month or two ago. And I, I use that line. I'll give you what you want. So you want what I give, because what I'm giving you is some fun, fantastic stories that are capital T true of what happened to me with this work. So you'll take what I give, which is, I want you to do some really hard fucking work and it's not easy. And on many days you will hate it but it will set you free. It will save your life. It will open you to possibilities that you had no idea are out there. And it's worth it because this is your life. You know, do I believe in reincarnation? Yes. Do I believe this is the only go around that I'm going to get? No. But do I believe this is the only life where I get to be Nicole Sachs? This with this dog and this life and these kids? Yes, this is the one. This is my life. You know, I get to take it. It's like, it's such an incredible privilege. And so you say how to spirituality inform my practice. As I have grown and watched the synchronicities and watched the magic, I refuse to not believe in it because it is everything. And it's almost like as you believe in it, it gets bigger. And so as I invite more of it into my life, more of it blossoms. And this conversation is actually one example of this because. 
my in, my interest in astrology is rather recent. Let's just say it started at the beginning of quarantine, where I got myself a deck of tarot cards and a pile of books. And I just made a spiritual practice every morning of lighting my incense and putting on my devotional music and meditating for 30 minutes and then pulling my cards. And it became so magical for me. And I started to see the synchronicities and I started to understand I got some really good messages, you know, and they weren't always positive. I got some real messages about like the grieving I needed to do or the places I wasn't looking or maybe um, some intuition about some people I was be I was working with or just like interacting with that weren't good for me and and stuff like that. So um, and then I get an email from you to be on the show. So I just I just feel like it's all happening. That's like why to do it. That's for me, the fuel to keep going because the work itself the work of excavating, the work of breaking cycles, the work of speaking your truth is horribly painful, yes. you know, it and is. learning how to tolerate pain. Yes. I've had breakthroughs in the past year as a byproduct of really trying, making a very conscious and genuine effort to dive into anti-racism work. Mm -hmm of how hard it was as a white woman to hear, you know, some of these stories about other white women and thinking about like, oh my God, I'm having a really hard time like sitting in this right now yeah. and realizing like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah, if we can't learn how to have hard conversations, we're not going to get anywhere yes. in society. So we're not true. going to be able to move this conversation along. And like, I need to be able to sit and hear yes. the truth about the injustices from people who look like me, you know, to other people and to be able to tolerate it, not get defensive and not shut it down just because it's hard, you know? And it was through that lens that I was able to start really unpacking, like on a societal level, our opioid addicted, which isn't obviously the fault of the individual. It's a, a massive pharmaceutical um, conspiracy. Yeah be honest, you know, Agreed. on this macro level, we are, we are the perfect like patients to experiment on because we don't have a tolerance to have hard conversations. Right. So obviously we are also going to all get addicted to things that sedate us out of having to deal with really sitting in the truth of, of hard, horrible truths. Yeah. But in order for us to move and move conversations along, we have to do it. We yes. have to. Yes, I am all for that. And I do believe that as work like mine starts to become more pervasive and as the consciousness of the collective rises, it will inform societal shift in a way that that brings a lot of, of um, peace to my heart because I'm so concerned about these issues as well. And I think that fortunately or unfortunately, I would say it's unfortunately because the change is slow, but fortunately it's a bottom up change, meaning each individual has to start taking more personal responsibility for their own health and for their place in society. And that's what changes a society. Yes, absolutely. And it really is. If that's also, you know, another one of these amazing astrological mystical truths of the microcosm and the macrocosm, yeah. you know, when the macrocosm, when thinking about societal change feels completely daunting and overwhelming, which of course it does, of course, it, if it should, you know, it, we're, we're talking about things that are outside of the scope of one individual person being able to do. Then we think about our bodies, we think about ourselves, we think about how we are processing just what's going on in our own life. That's a lot more reasonable of an ask than to change the entire world. Yeah. Um, but it's a microcosm for changing the entire world. And I, I really believe in each person becoming fully and totally and completely accountable for themselves yes. as the vehicle for change on a societal level. And that's literally what my work is about. And we could even take it to the next level of weird, which is perhaps spiritually in the storybook of the human race, perhaps the absolute epidemic of chronic pain in our culture right now is indeed a vehicle for the awakening and ascendance of society because pain is the great equaler, the great leveler. You know, it, I often say this in my lectures, the 
man with back pain in the high rise in Manhattan with his $10 million apartment who can't get out of bed is the same man in public housing or homeless. It doesn't matter. It's the great equalizer. If you can't move because your back is killing you, you are the same as any person who can't move if their back is killing them. And so that is what brings us awareness. Without your health, you have nothing. You know, that old cliche, it forces us to change. It forces us to awaken. And when the pills and the surgeries and the treatments don't work and people find work like mine and awaken to their role in a way that maybe they didn't know before, that's what changes things. So, I mean, who am I to say, but that has occurred to me in the past. I think about this every moment of every day. I don't ever, I'm never not thinking about this. I'm never not sort of like having these impression thoughts that are like too, too great to even put into words, you know, of just kind of like, taking it all in and then trying to figure out what, how to make sense of it. And the impression thought of like, okay, well, if we fear pain because we fear death and because we fear not lack of consciousness, right? But if consciousness is pain, then like what happens if we allow ourselves the opportunity to feel our feelings, including pain, you know? And like what happens if that becomes something that we are more comfortable embracing and accepting, which is a complete deviation from the opioid rhetoric, of course, course. you know, the pharmaceutical language is you deserve to live pain-free. And that was the slogan. That's the messaging. I'm sick over all of it. It's, it's so heartbreaking because it's so fucked up. It's so false. First of all, Opioids don't affect your pain unless it is soft tissue injury. Don't get me started with opioids. <laughs> opioids don't affect chronic pain. No, they create more pain receptors. Absolutely. So it's, no, <laughs> and they're designed to, yeah. it's just the worst, but it's, you know, the reason I think that when I first like found out that that was the language that the pharmaceutical companies were paying the doctors to tell the patients, what really just made me so sick about it is because yeah, like how, what a fucking convenient silver bullet, like what a fucking convenient panacea that you deserve, deserve to live pain free. Right. Like, so now it's like people feel empowered by the choice to have, to take control over their pain by ridding themselves of it, which does not exist. You cannot be alive and not be in pain. It just doesn't happen. It's a really about like, letting it move through you in healthy ways. It's not about shutting yourself off from pain. You would be dead if you did, which is like the full, you know, 360 of it, you know, like, do you want to be alive or do you want to be dead? Right. Because if you don't want to feel pain, you're going to be dead. Like that's now I people often when they're asking um, about my work and they're like, well, is everything, you know, a mind body situation? And I said, well, no, you can injure yourself. Right. Because once somebody said, so if I drop a hammer on my foot, you know, I I should journal my way out of it. And, you know, because people love to give me shit. And, and, And I said, no, listen, here's the situation. There's no cure for the human condition. So I'm sorry. There's no core cure for the human condition because that's the whole point. We're here to feel things. We're here to feel deeply. We're here to love. We're here to have our hearts broken. That's the reason we're here. So there's no cure for the human condition. So there's no, no cure for human pain, but there's a cure for chronic pain because chronic pain is an epidemic of fear and meaning. And when people can get that and that little light bulb can go off in their heads, they can start to heal. And so, you know, we're obviously saying the same thing. Like you and I, you know, we're a good audience. We could just go back and forth with the same thing. Two Capricorn risings. Unbelievable. So I'm going to ask you the questions we always ask on the show. Uh, Question number one is what do you believe in? Hmm. I believe that if you can be brave enough to tell the truth, even just in a quiet moment to yourself, it is the beginning of all the healing you will ever need. I have such confidence in this. People don't tell the truth because they're scared of reactions and they're scared of society and they're scared of the do's and don'ts of how they were raised. But if you can tell the truth, this is why I teach journal speak quietly in the presence of only you. And then you delete it when you're done. My process is just, it's a brain dump. It's like blowing your nose in a tissue, throw it out. You can begin to heal your mind and your body. I love that so much. I, I, the, the synchronicities, the tankness, it's just, (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because a, a Capricorn son, Mary Carr, an amazing writer, 
I love Mary Carr. <gasps> I love her work. I love her work too. And I had on Audible, The Art of the Memoir, as I was uh, trying to you know, put together the pieces that were my book. And she really is a fervent believer of truth-telling. Obviously, every memoirist, I suppose, especially if you're teaching memoirists how to write memoirs, has to be. And it was like hearing her voice in my head mm-hmm. over and over saying, tell the truth. I was like, that's what the book is. That's that's actually all the that's all the work is. That's yeah. everything. And the irony is, is that people are like, oh, astrology is so fake. It's so made up. And it's like, actually, it's all true. <laughs> it's all true. It's just a different way of arriving at the truth. The planets are yes. themselves yes. are not the truth. The truth is what you take from it. I'm very grateful for this yes. episode. Hopefully this is going to be prep people for being like, this is not where the fuck is my Zodiac sign. I would love to pull a card for you. <laughs> the way that my cards work best is with a question. However, I want to extend the offer to just pull a card and see what comes up. Totally an option, but I have a strong preference in it being a response to something because they'll just do better. Well, I mean, I could ask the question that's always on my mind, which is, can you give me a sense of where my work is going? Because my passion for spreading this message is a fire in my belly and it has created my life. It has created my joy. And I believe in it so strongly that um, sometimes I feel almost like I'm going to explode with it, like having to get the message out and almost like a desperate energy to have everybody know that they can heal themselves and things like that. So do you have a sense of something you could say that would guide me around bringing my message and my work? And I don't, is that a good enough question? That's a great question. Okay. Would you like me to work with pile one, pile two, or pile three? Pile two. Beautiful choice. No one picks pile one. It's so interesting. I don't, I just two popped into my mind. So I said two is a great answer, but I, I just think it's interesting that very rarely is someone like one. And, you know, first is supposed to be number one, the best. So interesting, interesting. Um, separately, mm-hmm. I just did a very interesting poll on Instagram about asking if people were bullied or bullied. And 3,000 people so far have said that they were results of being bullied. And only 200 have said that they were the bullies. So very interesting to me, like our perception, because that can't be, those numbers can't be true. Yeah. No, there's got to be bullies to bully the bully. It just doesn't make sense from a numerical perspective. So I've been sort of thinking about that the past 24 hours. Okay. So seven of swords we pulled for information about your work. What this means for me to you is that you're going to have to be a little bit sneaky about it. You're going to, you might have to lead not with fully, fully the whole thesis. You might have to break Mm -hmm. it up into like more digestible parts that make it more attractive to someone who doesn't get it at all and could never even fathom it and has no idea of how to even imagine a reality where it's possible to alleviate chronic pain. Um, it has to be something that's a little bit like that you come in as one thing and then you do a little bait and switch, not in like a lying, deceitful way, but in a, I know that if I share this whole, it's just going to be completely disregarded. Yeah. That really speaks to me actually, because my Instagram community over the past year has evolved a lot from just the pain stuff because people weren't getting it into me starting to bring messages around trauma and around the genesis of the pain stuff just to get people kind of um, interested in, and know and seeing themselves in my message. And my my community has grown exponentially in the past year as a result. And then I introduced like, but look what can happen when you take the mind and the body and people can hear it. So I love, I really connect with that. My last question for you is how does magic show up in your life? Oh my God, everywhere everywhere. And there's a quote in Willy Wonka, and I'm not going to be able to say it perfectly, but it's something about how all the sparkly mysteries are all around us. And those who don't believe in magic will never find it. And I believe so deeply in magic. And it's like, I'm such a child that when it pops up and when I see it, I still get so delighted. So can I just tell you a really quick story? Oh, please. Yes. So my daughter, Isabella, is my I mean, all all three of my kids are my heart and my soul, but she was my tough, tough one. And she was, if you ever read my memoir, 
back there. My book, it's called The Meaning of Truth. She was the one who put me over the edge with parenting because I, this is a very long story, but I essentially unconsciously thought that my children were going to heal my broken heart from childhood. And I was going to be a mom and everything was going to be fabulous. And all my pain and my loneliness of childhood was going to be sort of swallowed and digested by the fact that I could do it right with my kids. Right, okay? right, right. I mean, you're, this feels like a cautionary tale for me. And, and it is, and it is because, because that is, you know, very untrue and we have to do our own work and our children will not heal us. And if we need them to, we will be bad parents. And right. so um, when that revelation was the major revelation that I talk about in the book that shifted my back pain. And so, and it's because she was a very difficult, like, you know, not, she wasn't the baby I ordered, you know, she was ornery and colicky and she was difficult and she didn't like to cuddle and she looked exactly like my ex-husband. And so <laughs> there was just a lot in there. And so as I raised her, not through the lens of my own discontent, but as a completely separate being of me with her own karma and her own story and her own energy, she and I are so great. And she's um, almost 19 and she's just the most fabulous kid. And right before this interview, I took her out to lunch and um, I'm about to leave for the Omega Institute to teach for a week. I'm leaving tomorrow. And she just came back from Miami. She went to the Rolling Loud Musical Festival, music, music festival. So we hadn't seen each other. So we have this lunch. We only have this one precious hour together and we are just having the best time. We're belly laughing. I love her. And I have a tattoo on the back of my neck that's a 44 because our angel number, my angel number is 444 and I got it on the last day of my 44th year. And she got a tattoo this year as a secret of 44 right here on her arm. Oh. And then at lunch, and I'm literally going to show this to you because it's just too good. We get the bill and the bill is um not like she she ordered the, this is so funny i'm telling some podcast she ordered um a lobster salad sandwich so it said market price and so we didn't know what it was going to cost and i said it doesn't matter honey you know whatever you want and this was the bill okay so it was 44 dollars and we were at table 44. Oh my Can God. Can you see that? That is wild. Isn't that so wild? So the reason I'm saying that to you is that some people could say that's stupid and some people could say that's a coincidence, but that was just magic. It was just magic. Well, I would say tank. There are no coincidences. <laughs> so it couldn't be. I mean, you both have 44 tattoos. There's two 44s. There's two 44s. I mean, it's just, and it just, and like, it was such a magical lunch, just, just connecting with her and what she's becoming this young woman that she's growing into. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. <laughs> I am so grateful to have you on this show. Thank you so much for taking the time. Where could our listeners find you and continue to connect with your work? Well, if you want to have the home base of everything, go to my website, which is thecureforchronicpain.com. I have a resources tab that has frequently asked questions, has a glossary of terms, and is how to journal speak. And then all my resources, which is a podcast, a YouTube channel, both called The Cure for Chronic Pain with me, Nicole Sachs. And then my Instagram, which is a place where I spend a lot of my time. I am at Nicole Sachs, L-C-S-W, and there's no H in Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E-S-A-C-H-S-L-C-S-W. And um, my book is called The Meaning of Truth. It's available on Amazon and... I have an online community. It's called Journal Speak with Nicole Sachs. It's a closed group on Facebook. No one reads your posts, but the group. And it's thousands of people that are the most loving and supportive folks. So if you need help in this work, it's really great. Thank you so much. This is such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. 